I am your host, Alec Crawford, and this is Stay Sustainable, a podcast about sustainability, technology, artificial intelligence, and how they impact you. I am discussing these issues with high-profile guests to give you important information that goes deeper than other sources. Will AI save the planet but kill all humans? Is ESG investing about to rebound? How can you use AI at your organization to win? I'd also like to give a shout out to our podcast producer and audio engineering team at Troutman Street Audio. You can check them out on LinkedIn. Welcome everyone to the Stay Podcast. And our special guest today is Tobias Jensen, head of legal at the Nordic Blockchain Association, blog author of The Gap. Welcome, Tobias. Thanks for having me. Nice to be here. So, uh, Tobias, I hear that Copenhagen has become a foodie destination. Do you agree? Apparently. Um, at the moment, I don't have the budget for um, for fine dining. But um, if you have the budget for it, we have two of the world's finest restaurants in Denmark. We have Noma, which is number two, and we have Keranium, which is number one. And I don't really understand why exactly. But for some reason, uh, Copenhagen has become like uh, an epicenter for uh, gourmet dining. Wow, it sounds pretty cool. I'll have to check it out at some point. And, and, and just tell us, switching gears, tell me a little bit about what you studied as an undergraduate. So I studied law at um, the University of Copenhagen for both my undergrad and my master's. And during my undergrad, I was really interested in uh, human rights law and uh, administrative law. And during my master degree, I kind of switched towards more corporate um, things like IP law, GDPR, IT law, also climate change law, uh, which was what I wrote my master thesis in, um, uh, particularly about um, how patents uh, on technology or uh, patents, depending on if you're from the UK or the US, how those affect um, uh the uh, dissemination of environmentally friendly technologies um, like windmills, solar systems, or uh, adapting technologies that can be used to adapt to climate changes. So is uh, patents a um, opportunity or a hindrance to um, disseminate these technologies around the world, especially for developing countries where they may not be able to, um, you know, to buy the license for uh, uh, for these important technologies. <clears throat> so it's a bit, um, long story short, um, my master thesis was a bit alternative, um, like the topic, but I learned a lot. Oh, super cool. And, and what was your first job after you finished your law degree? So right after I finished my law degree, I worked at um, a GDPR company called Wide Relations. And I was actually not hired as a lawyer, but as a business development representative. You know, one of those people who uh, make make um, calls out to uh, companies and tries to book meetings. So um, it's it was like, at least on paper, it was a pretty uh, junior position. But because we sold GDPR software, and um, I knew a lot about GDPR, relatively speaking. Um, I um, I took the opportunity and um, I learned a lot from it. So you could say that I used my law degree in a very um, untraditional way, um, and I got involved in the uh, business aspect of uh, law 
in another way than most lawyers do. So I learned a lot about how um, you know startups work, how the software industry works, and um, this uh, kind of inspired me to take a somewhat different direction with my career. Super cool. And then uh, you've had a number of roles. And who's who's someone who who's been your best boss so far? Or someone you've been able to learn from? I have to say that I was very closely involved with the management at um, Wide Relations. Uh, they were from the Faroe Islands. Um, at least my um, one of my uh, supervisors, uh, whose name was Gilly, he was really passionate about um, teaching me about how the software industry works and how uh, um, Wide Relations Solutions helped um, companies to... Um, comply with laws. So um, if I had to give a, a shout out, it would be to him. But in general, just, um, you know, learning different things. Um, when you're a business development representative, you talk to people on the phone um, pretty much all day. And uh, that's very different from uh, reading and reading and reading as you do as a law student. So it was a different world that kind of opened up to me and um, um, it really opened my perspective concerning the uh, intersection between law and uh, business development and IT and such. Yeah, super cool. Now, when we were talking earlier, you mentioned a book, The Power of Now by Eckhart um, Tolle, Tolle, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Yeah, Tolle. Uh, Totally. Why was it so important to you and what were your key takeaways there? So that book kind of opened my horizon to a radically different perspective than I was used to. Ekatoli, he's a spiritual teacher and he communicates about being in the present and um, talking about how the past and the future is illusions. Um, you know, we don't know uh, what will happen tomorrow. And, um, you know, nobody can really point and say, this is uh, yesterday, you know, it happens um, in our minds. Um, I read it when I was really young, The Power of Now by Katole. I was 18. And I've never really been exposed to spiritual books that were that existential before. Um, right before I read The Power of Now, I read another book called The uh, Law of Attraction, uh, where they talk about, um, you know, the secret that whatever you think um, can become a reality and your dreams can come true and, and so forth. And when I was like 18 and I read it, I was really excited about that I could just think about something and then uh, it could come true. That was um, really fascinating. But... Of course, I found out that things didn't work that well. Um, in reality, people have to work hard to achieve the things they want. And uh, imagining and thinking about stuff is not going to get you there. Um, so you really have to take action. And now that I look back at The Secret, um, I think the book is quite um, superficial and very commercial-minded and like a fast food of spirituality. And I kind of had the expression that that was, um, I kind of had the impression that that was um, um, what spiritual books was all about. So when I read Eckhart Tolle, it was quite shocking because 
His writing style is quite boring. He's not trying to tell you something or um, he's not trying to sound overly optimistic or happy. He, um, it's, it's, you know, it was really weird um, reading that book. When I first read it, I didn't really understand it. It was um, not until years later that some of the messages just stuck in the back of my mind and I kept going back to it. And um, even when I read it now, I still get some new input from it. So um, long story short, that book kind of opened my perspective to um, to, to say it in his uh, words, like the spiritual dimension of life. Um, although I don't want to sound too um, woohoo. Yeah, absolutely. And and switching gears, uh, obviously you're 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 a very popular blog author of the Gap about AI. What got you interested in AI in the first place, and when did that happen? That's a great question. It's happened in steps. So I wrote about Bitcoin for a while. I was really interested in understanding uh, the technology behind Bitcoin and the philosophical, financial political, economical, so forth, uh, implications of the technology. So I went really deep into that rabbit hole and um, I invested a lot of money in it. And um, at my former uh, workplaces, I uh, talked a lot to my colleagues about it, maybe too much. I was kind of known as, you know, the, the Bitcoin crypto guy who, uh, who tried to... Um, almost convince other people to, uh, you know, at least open their perspective to, to Bitcoin. So I was kind of like a Bitcoin preacher for a while. And um, I was really fascinated about the technology. And that led me to um, the wider space uh, around technology, also because of the job I had at Wide Relations, where I learned about IT and uh, startups. Um, I started learning about OpenAI and uh, GPT-3. Uh, that was in 2020, uh, maybe 21. And I was just blown away by uh, all the stuff I read about GPT-3. And everyone is um, when they first um, discover these large language models. It, it is truly fascinating uh, how well they work. And I instantly realized that GPT-3 would have um, implications on society. And I was also uh, reading and writing about deep fakes and uh, synthetic media and the broader space of generative AI uh, in regards to misinformation, privacy concerns. And then it just um, built from that. And then, um, you know, after ChatGPT uh, was released in November uh, of last year, um, then the whole AI hype cycle began. And um, it's... It strikes some resemblance to um, the crypto hype cycle, uh, I think. And it's just such a hot topic right now. There's so much uh, to learn uh, about these technologies and how they impact societies. So I couldn't imagine anything more meaningful um, to write about and spend my time learning about at the moment. Yeah, there's another book you mentioned before. It was uh, the book Homo Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari. Well, tell, talk about that a little bit. What I like about um, Yuval Harari is his writing style, which is very clear. And he sees um, 
In his book Homo sapiens, he writes about humanity from a very holistic perspective. He writes about man's journey from even before humans were humans. I think that's very fascinating to think about that thousand years ago, there were other human species besides Homo sapiens who were living with Neanderthalers and a bunch of other human species. Um, so that's where the book starts. And then it just uh, builds up until now um, uh, with AI. And if I had to um, give a recommendation to an alien who knew nothing about Earth or humanity about one book to read, I would recommend uh, Homo sapiens because he really describes humanity's coming of age journey, uh, coming of age, uh, journey. and um, history is important to understand. Uh, also to peek into the future and try to predict what will happen next. Then we also need a good understanding of our past and uh, where we came from. And my uh, um, impression when I read uh, Homo sapiens was that um, he really gave a good explanation of our whole uh, journey in history. <laughs> that was my impression. Great. And how did you decide to start writing The Gap, your blog on Substack about AI? It was inspired by a quote from a, a former CEO of Intel. Um, he talks uh, in the quote, uh, he says that um, governments move three times slower than normal companies and high tech companies um, move three times faster than normal companies. So we have a nine times gap. And that pretty much encapsulates what I want to write about. Um, the whole knowledge gap between big tech companies and democratic institutions. And also how law uh, and legislation is a very slow process. While um, AI technologies, GPT-4 and OpenAI and so forth, you know, they're just going ahead at, you know, OpenAI, particularly OpenAI, and also their major competitors are um, moving ahead at a lightning speed. And then um, there's a large gap between our understanding of the world, our understanding of law, uh, and then on the other side, how um, uh, all these amazing technologies uh, are used. So um, that's something uh, that really... Um, that really uh, stimulates me to think about and inspires me. I really liked your articles about centaurs and the history of chess playing computers and, and the Harvard Business School paper. Tell the audience what a centaur is and your view there. So my understanding of a centaur uh, is derived from a quote by Gary Kasparo right after he lost to Deep Blue in 1997. A few years after that, he made a, um, a prediction that the uh, best future chess players of the world would be a combination between humans and AI. So um, the humans and the AI would together decide the best moves um, to win a chess game. And for a few years, he was uh, correct. Um, even the best chess computers um, could lose 
to uh, teams consisting of uh, um, a grandmaster chess player and uh, a highly um, high-level uh, chess engine. But after Alpha Zero came along uh, a few years back, I believe it was in 2017, um, Centaurs was kind of put in their graves. Um, now these um, algorithms can uh, outplay uh, even uh, chess engines. The difference is that uh, Deep Blue is, was trained on um, many human chess games, um, whereas uh, Alpha Zero was trained on exactly zero uh, human chess games from the past. It just uh, learned from playing against itself over and over and over again um, by reinforcement learning, um, learned what how to improve, uh, how to avoid mistakes, and got better and better. And eventually, it won over Stockfish, uh, Stockfish, Stockfish, which was the best chess engine uh, at the time. Um, incredible achievement. And that just um, shows us how powerful um, these uh, deep learning uh, methods really are. Um, the potential seems to be limitless. Yeah, that obviously raises some key ethical questions. And what what what's the most important ethical question you need think you think needs to be addressed surrounding AI today? I think that the impact that AI will have on the job market is something that worries me. I'm a bit worried about solutions like Harvey AI, for instance, and how that software will impact the work of lawyers and also the employment rate of lawyers. They are very secretive and closed company like OpenAI. It's hard to um, uh, really peek into uh, how their uh, system works. They don't offer any product demos or uh, make a lot of information available about um, how their system works. Just today, they have received another large uh, founding round. So um, they're, um, uh, they have huge, huge bagging. Um, they received a huge uh, Series B funding. Uh, I'm, I'm a bit concerned, to be frank. Uh, and I'm also concerned that um, as humans uh, collaborate with AI, there suddenly comes a turning point and suddenly humans go from using AIs as tools to the tools using humans. And it can very quickly be very um, like woohoo, um, science fiction. Uh, but it doesn't have to, to be that, you know, uh, I don't even think that the leap is so, um, is so big from where we are now to um, AI. Uh, systems doing the, the the bulk of knowledge work, and um, I'm concerned, but I'm also optimistic. I don't think that GPT four or Google Gemini could do what I do, for instance, when I write. Um, these models have no experience in the world. I think that is a key thing, uh, as I see it. Uh, you know, we humans, we uh, live a long life, we experience the world. Um, these AI models are just built on all the knowledge that we have built. 
but um, at, 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 at their core, it's they don't uh, understand uh, the world because they don't have any sense perception. They don't have any uh, access to um, to the world as we have, obviously. And that's like, the, 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 the key distinction for me. It's a very basic observation, but it's also very important, I think, to realize that these AI models are not humans, and let's not try to turn them into humans. And this human-to-human -human connection um, that we have when we talk and um, when people have when they read my articles, for instance, this is something that the AI cannot replace um, because the AI doesn't have this uh, humanness, and I don't believe that we can... Um, that we can really translate this humanness into numbers. Some people, uh, many leading AI uh, experts who um, knows um, a lot more about the technical aspects of AI than I do, they compare AIs with animals and um, with human intelligence. And I never understood these comparisons uh, because we don't know how human intelligence works we don't know how um, AI intelligence work either, but uh, we know a lot more about it than we know about human intelligence. We know basically nothing about human intelligence or um, about the very deep existential questions about uh, why we're here on Earth and such. AIs, we kind of have a rough overview of how they work and what they're trained on. And um, there are no signs so far that any AI anywhere have received any kind of uh, uh, of true autonomy or um, independent will or intrinsic motivation or anything that resembles how uh, humans operate. So I think the comparison between AI and humans are, um, I, I, I don't really see it and I don't really um, see it in the future. I think um, the capabilities of AI um, of course, it will continue to increase over the coming years, and there will be some truly mind-blowing uh, developments in the coming years. I have no doubt about that. But um, they can never replace the humanness of human. They can replace many of our tasks and many of our, uh, uh, perhaps some of our jobs, but um, there are some uh, human qualities that they cannot replicate. Yeah, that sounds right to me. And, and now switching gears, talk about your current role as head of legal at the Nordic Blockchain Association. So Denmark is a small country and uh, Scandinavia and the Nordic part of Europe is also a relatively small country, uh, <laughs> a, a, really country a relatively short, um, small area. So that's one thing. Uh, that's maybe one reason why blockchain technology have not really been promoted um, a lot in Denmark. We simply don't have uh, a lot of people. Um, that being said, we have a lot of talents and we have some, um, for instance, um, MegaDAO was founded by a Danish citizen. A chain Analysis um, had a Danish co-founder. And um, there are plenty and plenty of examples of uh, talented, uh, talented blockchain developers um, and, uh, and uh, to some extent also companies in Denmark and especially also in the, uh, Scandinavia, um, in the uh, region of Scandinavia. 
So it's not because we don't have the talent. Um, we just don't have a lot of people. And that's maybe why the blockchain um, revolution, quote unquote, have not really um, been so big here in, in the Nordics. But Nordic Blockchain Association, we're a community for a blockchain um, interested people in Denmark. We organize events. Um, most um, importantly, we have a week, uh, not, um, not a weekly, a yearly event called Nordic Blockchain Conference, where uh, people come from all over the world. Um, and we have panel debates and speeches and um, conference stuff. And it last year uh, I participated and it was a huge uh, success. The next step for Nordic Blockchain Association is uh, steering committees. Uh, I'm involved in a legal steering committee where lawyers and um, some people with legal knowledge about the blockchain industry in Scandinavia meet and discuss different um, issues um, that blockchain and uh, poses to regulation and, and vice versa. And then we um, try to uh, influence um, the government authorities and the public authorities in a positive way to spread the good message about the applications of blockchain. And we try to um, be, uh, in Danish, it would be called a tailorer. Like, uh, I'm not sure what the English expression is that we speak on behalf of uh, the blockchain community in Scandinavia to um, the public authorities and to everyone else who is interested. Sure. Sounds a little bit like maybe spokesperson or, you know, yeah. advocate, something like that. Yeah. 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 And then, and then, um, so to be what's, what's next for you? What are you going to do next? So, uh, I'm starting a job soon at, um, uh, one of Europe's, uh, biggest IT companies. And I'm starting here in, uh, in a couple of months. But um, I will also continue with my writing. I can reveal that um, I will offer paid subscriptions after the New Year's. And I will also start doing uh, podcasts um, like the one we're doing here. Uh, only in um, it's uh, video-based and it's very uh, short conversation. So it's a bit different, but um, podcast nonetheless. And... Um, I'm just looking forward to continue to learn about uh, this evolving space between technology and law. It's really excites me like every single day um, to read and learn about this stuff and uh, think and contemplate how AI and other um, new technologies uh, can impact the world and can impact the law. It's very, um, it's, uh, it's like the best uh, space to, uh, to be in as I see it. Yeah. Super awesome. So what advice do you have for lawyers who want to use AI to help them in their jobs? I think it's important to experiment. I'm almost tempted to say as much as possible. Um, but of course, within reason, I think it's really important to learn about how these technologies can be used. So I'm not one of those doomers who say that uh, you shouldn't use AI. They will take their job. You, um, they will they'll take your jobs. Um, I, I say use it, apply it, experiment, but also be extremely cautious. I would never use um, any 
uh, AI system to uh, make uh, decisions on my behalf, especially not in a, um, in a professional context, but not in a personal context either. Because as we all know, um, AI systems are prone to hallucinations and uh, mistakes can creep in. And the um, important part to understand here is also that it's uh, not impossible to understand why the AI makes the mistakes that, uh, that they do. Um, let's say that you are preparing for a court case and you um, use ChatGPT to uh, reference some case law and these case law um, and these cases are completely fabricated and made up. You have no way of explaining why you um, reference these cases or why you think that um, that they were real. The only um, defense you can really use is to say that uh, the AI model said so. And that's a problem because you cannot really learn from your mistakes. When I um, misquote um, some court case or uh, in one of my articles, uh, I make a, a huge blunder or mistake. I can go back and I can see, whoops, that was a mistake. And then I can quickly think, okay, this mistake happened because I was not paying enough attention to that, that, that. I oversaw that. And I'll learn and try to do it better in the future. That's very important because that's how human um, develop. We learn from our mistakes. That's how we grow. Whereas if you rely on an AI model to do your work, then it's very hard to uh, learn or grow from uh, the mistakes you make. So use it responsibly, um, experiment a lot, um, but use it in, um, in a low stakes um, sandbox kind of environment, I would, I would say. And how can corporate and world leaders use AI for good, do you think? Oh, in science, AI has huge potential to make new discoveries and um, that goes for all kinds of science. Um, in the future, I could, uh, we could all, you know, probably imagine AI coming up with a cure for cancer, or um, or coming up for some uh, genius solution for. Uh, uh, harvesting wind and solar energy in more um, in a more efficient way. Um, AI is just like you know, we have superhuman uh, AI chess engines. We can have human, um, or we can have uh, superhuman uh, AI in all areas of science. And the on the other hand, um, there is a. Um, a thinker called uh, Daniel Smachtenberger, who says that everything that AI can uh, optimize, AI can also break. So we can use AI to uh, find the cure to a disease. We can also use AI to um, uh, spread a new virus. We can use AI to um, make education better for young people can also use AI to brainwash young people. So whatever positive use case you could think about, um, there's um, a, um, a, a flip side to that. There's a positive and there's a negative. So AI is, one way to think about AI is 
intelligence. Um, we can think of AI as more intelligence and you can use more intelligence for good and you can use more intelligence for bad. Um, so this is what's tricky about AI that is revolutionary and it can um, disrupt the world uh, both ways. And I don't think we have any reference from earlier inventions uh, in human history that we can draw on. So this is uncharted ter um, territory and we don't know how things will develop. We just don't know and we can't predict five years ahead. So long story short, again, I ramble quite a bit today, but we should, I think, try to contain AI with regulation to uh, uh, some extent. And there are different and very uh, strong opinions about that. Some people think that we should speed up and go ahead and um, just see what the fuck will happen. Um, but it's um, it's very uh, unpredictable how things will turn out and too many rapid changes to society uh, can be harmful. Changes, the changes that can come from AI um, can be uh, truly good. Um, but society needs time to absorb these new technologies. It cannot happen from one day to the next. It's something that will take years and we have to slow down and we have to control um, uh, the development and even more the use of these technologies. In research lab and for um, science, I don't think there should be any boundaries. Uh, I've, I'm all for um, trying out new use cases and innovating. I'm all for it. But on the consumer side, um, something like ChatGPT, where you have this revolutionary um, technology that's just instantly published um, and free to use for um, uh, the whole world's population, um, that can be quite concerning. And this is um, this is um, this approach, and it should not be. Um, and it should be much more controlled than that. Yeah, I mean, I think obviously Europe is has is at the forefront of AI regulation, and uh, the U.S. is trying to catch up, and uh, it's going to take a while. Let's that see nine times see. difference, right, between government and uh, tech companies, <laughs> right? That's true. So, uh, so the last five minutes is a lightning round where I mention different things and ask if you think they're underrated or overrated or maybe fairly rated and, and why. So we're gonna we're gonna kick it off with living in Copenhagen, underrated or overrated. So to me, this one is underrated. I love Copenhagen. For foreigners, maybe especially Americans, I think living in Copenhagen would be overrated because it's not that big of a city and it can maybe be quite boring. The weather is not always nice. Um, so, and the taxes are very high here in Denmark. So for living here as an American, I think Copenhagen would be overrated. So Americans should visit, but maybe not live there. All right. Uh, Novak Djokovic versus other number one players in history, underrated or overrated. 
So the tennis player Novak Djokovic is a great inspiration for me. When I was younger, I played a lot of tennis and I um, grew up during the Federer and Nadal area uh, during their rivalry. And then came in Djokovic from the side and over time he overtook uh, the role of the greatest tennis players of all time. And still at 36 years old, he um, beats uh, younger players uh, consistently. Um, and what he can do on a tennis court is just uh, beyond belief. Um, and that he have been able to do it for so many years, it's, uh, it's truly inspiring for me. Um, tennis is a very uh, a difficult sport mentally. You have to constantly deal with fail, uh, failures and mistakes and um, and so forth. Um, so what re- what is required to become a truly good tennis player is an iron um, mentality, where you're just um, hyper focused on winning and um, and can really uh, bounce back from setbacks. And no one does that better than him. So uh, he is definitely uh, underrated. Bitcoin, underrated or overrated? Oh, I want to say it's underrated, but I'm also worried about uh, what it would look like in half a year. Um, Maybe uh, after Bitcoin is approved, um, there's just this case right now um, in the US where the uh, SEC um, is going to uh, make a valuation of whether we can have a Bitcoin uh, spot uh, ETF. And if that ETF is approved, um, the price of Bitcoin could um, potentially skyrocket um, as it would kind of signal that uh, traditional finance could buy into Bitcoin easily and big time. So um, I'm a bit worried that uh, if we speak again in a year's time and uh, Bitcoin's price is uh, over $100,000 and uh, it's all over the headlines and news every day in the media, I will regret that I said that uh, Bitcoin was underrated. But up until then, I'll say uh, underrated. Practicing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, underrated or overrated? Underrated. I just uh, received my blue belt in uh, jiu-jitsu yesterday and I try to practice daily. It's very great for guys like me and um, that goes for almost everyone these days. We sit a lot in front of our computer screen. We don't move much. Brazilian jiu-jitsu really allows you to get in touch with your uh, uh, inner animalistic instincts in a good way. And there's so much technique to learn and um, there's so much to learn. So underrated. Uh, I'm probably pronouncing this wrong, but s'more broad or open-faced sandwiches. Ah, yeah. Underrated. That's a Danish delicatess. It's rye bread with different toppings. It's uh, Yeah, there's actually a... There's actually a restaurant in uh, the the main train station in New York, Grand Central, that serves s'more bread. It's really good, actually. It's yeah, I, I love it. Writing a blog, underrated or overrated? Overrated. There are so many people who uh, could do it these days. It's very difficult. 
like um, so many, uh, especially the thing, uh, the things I write about concerning AI and, and such, it's, uh, it's very difficult to attract readers. So I'll say overrated for most people. For me, underrated, of course. Of course. The National Gallery of Denmark, overrated or underrated? Underrated. It's uh, also the area surrounding uh, the gallery is uh, very nice and I can recommend tourists who are visiting Copenhagen to uh, spend half a day in the area um, and see the National Gallery and walk around the city. It's, uh, it's pretty great. Aquavit, underrated or overrated? Mm. It's over, uh, underrated. Underrated. I think it's something that everyone needs to try. It, it's, a, it's an acquired taste, but... Uh, you learn to like it. Yeah, there's some crazy, crazy flavors like you know caraway and things like that, which could turn people off. But it, they, they, they go well with uh, Danish food, obviously. The traditional and then lastly, that's uh, very yeah, good. Yeah, and yeah, the last last one, the movie, The Shining, underrated or overrated? Underrated. I think that goes for most old movies. Um, there's so so many good old movies, and The Shining is one of them. Uh, I was uh, really fascinated by it as a kid with the twist ending, and uh, didn't understand it. And um, it's a very good movie. Awesome. Well, Tobias, thank you for coming on the show again. This has been Tobias Jensen, head of legal at the Nordic Blockchain Association, blog author of The Gap, and soon to be employed a large IT company that will be named later. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I had a great time. You were listening to the Stay Sustainable Podcast. You can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. For example, Apple Podcasts. Production and sound engineering by Troutman Street Audio. You can find them on LinkedIn. Please like, subscribe, and comment. You can also find the podcast and blog at stayblog.substack.com. I can't do that.